Man, go ahead and have a seat. Oh, beautiful morning. So one of the things that we've been thinking about a lot, you know, Callie and I, is why do we do what we do on Sunday? You know what I mean? You put all this effort into what's going on and, and why? <laughs> and for us, one of the things that God has been pressing upon us is this is the time when the church, because each of us that follows Christ is the church, this is just a building, this is where we get together and worship together. Last week, we were praying before the service. Uh, we're doing that at 9.30. All those serving are, are praying. And so we were talking about, well, you know, when you serve on Sunday, you're called a volunteer, right? Well, we don't like that. Volunteer? Um, it sounds like you're giving God your, your leftovers. I'm going to volunteer when I have extra time. And we thought, no, um, we'll call them unpaid staff because, you know, staff, that sounds more important. And Callie mentioned that, and, and Chris and Roy, you know, with their tact were like, that's stupid. <laughs> um, but then they nailed it. They said, no, we're all worship leaders. I said, that's dead on. Whether you are in there with the kids, you're a worship leader. If you're a greeter, you're a worship leader. If you're setting up coffee, you're a worship leader because why are we getting together on Sunday? We're getting together to go to God. And when we serve, we're, we're trying to bring others along with us. We wanna help others meet with God. There's something unique about when the body comes together, that's us, the body of Christ, when we come together to worship, there's something unique. And so we wanna, we wanna have a place where we come together, where we can meet with God, where God can speak to us, but where we worship. Uh, you read through the Old Testament, worship always, you never went um, empty-handed to worship. Everybody went to offer something. They would go and the sacrificial system, which is now done away with, but they would bring a sacrifice. Um, they would bring their tithe, their giving. They would, they would bring something. And something has happened, and I think primarily in American Christianity, where no longer do we bring anything, we go to get. And church becomes this consumer affair where we, well, I want to hear the songs I want, and I want to hear a pastor who uh, is funny, or you know what I mean? We come to get rather than we come to bring, and so we bring a sacrifice of praise, absolutely. He says, sing a new song. So as we're singing, that is a sacrifice we're giving to God from our heart, but it stems from the heart. When we give, you can give in the back or you can give online or you can give on the app, but giving from a heart of worship, that is bringing something. But God responds to the heart. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to just give or just sing or just serve. He wants your heart. And then when you bring something, it has value because it's stemming from what God wants. You're, you're united in heart. So I just... I just felt the urge to share that as we get together and as summer's coming on and, and people are going away, that's great. You know, it's a great day today. And I had a lot of texts this week, hey, we won't be there Sunday. We're going on a trip. That's awesome. But when we do come, you know, if we are here in the summer, let's, let's come to offer something, not to get, because you all know the pastor here, eh. but, but come, come to give, come to give back to God for what he's done for us. So let me, let me pray. And we're going to get into the book of John. Heavenly Father, uh, we gather because we love you, and we love you because you first loved us. When we were still in our sin, Jesus, you died for us. We, we haven't earned anything. Um, it's a free gift. I thank you, Father. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I pray, Jesus, that you would be present here with us. Holy Spirit, that you would be here in us, among us, that you would convict our hearts of sin, that you would encourage us where we need encouragement, and that you would be glorified in our hearts, that, that, our, that our worship would not be just ritualistic or legalistic, that we wouldn't be just doing religion, but that we would be coming to meet with you, our Lord, our Savior, our Maker, because we love you. 
Jesus, you said eternal life is that we know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's eternal life. And so we want to know you better. Reveal yourself to us, convict us, work on us. Uh, we, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in the book of John. This is our second week in John, so go ahead and turn there. Uh, it's page 612 if you're using one of these. If you need a Bible, that's okay. There's some in the back. Doug will bring you one. Does anybody need a Bible? No? Um, if you're on your phone, we're using the ESV version, so you can look that up. Again, I, I say it not because it's the best, it's just what we've chosen to use. So uh, I see some phones out, probably texting, but at least pretend like it's the Bible and go to ESV. Um, yeah, Jen, I'm looking at you. <laughs> um, have you ever been surprised by somebody? Somebody that you thought was going to be one thing and they were something different, or you thought they were going to do something a certain way, and they did it different. There was a, a man when I lived in Russia. Did you just raise your hand? Yeah. yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, we know. God's grace is good. Um, when I lived in Russia for a bit, there was a, a man who I got to know amazing, amazing man. I think he was in his 70s at the time, and I was teaching... Uh, I led a men's group and I, I taught Sunday school when I was 21 years old and I knew next to nothing. Um, but God had called me just to, to lead this. And so I'm doing this Sunday school for adults and there's this man in his 70s sitting next to me, barely ever spoke, barely ever said anything, humble, just an amazing man. And then somebody whispers to me and says, oh, yeah, he, uh, he's one of the renowned Old Testament scholars in the world. And uh, he has contributed to these encyclopedias. And I go home and I grab my, my Old Testament encyclopedia and I pull it out. I'm like, he's in here. <laughs> I mean, his name is in there. And, and so then Sunday I go and I sit down and I'm like, do you have anything to share? <laughs> you know, and, and I, from then on, I kind of felt you should be leading. <laughs> and I would ask him questions. I'd try and draw him out, but he was very humble. He wasn't at all what you would expect. And I'll tell you this, he didn't do what I thought he should do. I wanted him to take over. I wanted him to lead because he knew way more. He could offer us way more than I ever could, but that wasn't the way he went about it. And he had great strength. He, had, I got, he was doing what God had called him to do, and sometimes he would teach, and it was deep and insightful. Uh, but he wasn't what I expected, and I'll be honest, my expectations of him were, were wrong, were wrong. I wanted him to be something he wasn't. I use that to say, Jesus, the Messiah, is not what people expected him to be. And often he's not what we expect him to be. And so what we're doing is we are in this, this short series at the beginning of John called The Real Jesus. Because when you have a real encounter with the real Jesus, everything changes. And so we want to get to know the real Jesus, not some image of Jesus, not Jesus on a crucifix or Jesus praying with the loaf of bread there, or, you know, the paintings we have. The real Jesus that we see in the book of John, we want to get to know him because when we get to know him, everything changes. Turn with me, if you would, to John. We looked at the prologue last week. We saw that Jesus is the word that existed from the beginning of creation, from before creation. Jesus was not created. The word was not created, but everything was created through Jesus. That was kind of our first big thing of, wow. And our application was, just be in awe. <laughs> I mean, what else can you apply to that is dwell on who Jesus is. But now we're going we're gonna to get a glimpse of Jesus for the first time. We're actually skipping over verses 19 through 28 in John 1. Um, and we're going to do this. As we go through John, we're not going to hit every verse. But if you want to hit every verse, guess what? Go read it. 
<laughs> we're going to offer, um, on the back, there are devotionals. Because some have said, oh, I already went through that devotional book. I need something else. So we're doing two devotionals a week. And we're going to do a podcast a week, a, a shorter one. This week's was 10 minutes long, I think, to hit the things that we're not hitting on the weekend. Um, so don't be dismayed if we're skipping something. We want to hit kind of the highlights of the book of John. And we're going to be in, starting in verse 29 today, but I do want to set the scene because the context is set up before that. Uh, here we are, and, and we have some, some maps that will help us. But this is the very, very beginning of Jesus' ministry. John starts his gospel differently than the other synoptic gospels. He doesn't start with the birth. He starts with who John is as the word incarnate, God incarnate. And then he goes right into his ministry. So if you look just real quick um, in verse, let's see here, verse 28. It just says, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, let's go back to that map if we can, uh, because the map kind of gives us a lay of the land. So here's where we're at. There's Jerusalem. I'm going to walk over here. Here's Jerusalem. Here's Jericho. Here's Bethany beyond the Jordan. So this is most likely the site of where Jesus was baptized. And Jericho is the nearest city. So if you're hanging out in this area, you're probably sleeping in Jericho unless you're sleeping in the wilderness, which John the Baptist may have been doing. Um, but so this is the location of where things are happening. Just to, to give you an idea, and most likely, and some scholars would say that what is happening right here is about 40 days after Jesus' baptism. So Jesus was baptized by John right there. He was baptized. He went into the wilderness, we know from the, the other gospels. He went out and was tempted for many days by, by the devil. And when he came back, he was really starting his ministry. Things were changing now. He's 30 years old or so, but his ministry is beginning. And so he comes back and it looks like, and I am gonna read this, just a little bit, in verses 19 through 28, we, we meet John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. So he had been preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is different than Judaism, the ritual, do all these things. He said, no, God wants to change your heart, so turn away from your sin. And so people were being baptized. And Jesus had been baptized by him. But now some Pharisees come and they're kind of challenging him. And they're saying, who gave you authority to do this? Everybody's coming to him. He's very popular. People are traveling through that area to get to Jerusalem. There's a road going through. So a lot of people are walking by going, what's this crowd? And they come over and they see this man who, long hair, he was a Nazarite. So he didn't drink. Uh, he didn't cut his hair, kind of like Samson, if you remember that. Uh, he wore camel's hair and he ate locust and honey. So just get that image. So he had this big belt around and he's baptizing people in the river. And people come out to sea and he's, you know, just this picture of this man, and then he sees the Pharisees and he yells out, you brood of vipers, you know, you guys are whitewashed tombs. I think Jesus actually said that, but he's bashing into them and then he's teaching repentance and Jesus comes out of the wilderness after his temptation and he's in the crowd when the Pharisees are challenging him going, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Basically saying, you know, you, we see that there's something unique about you and somebody like you would be preparing the way for the Messiah. And these Pharisees, they didn't want the Messiah to come. And you know this because later on, what did they do to Jesus? Many of them knew he was the Messiah, but they killed him anyway because they were worried about disturbing the norm in Jerusalem there. The, they, were, they were in cohort with, with the Romans. And so they didn't want a Messiah coming in. This has happened before, a Messiah coming in and saying, I'm the king because now Rome is going to get ticked off about that and this war is going to break out and all that. That's what they're worried about. So they come out here and they're talking to John and John says, among you, this is in, um, 
where are we? Among you. It's verse 26. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. That word among means in your midst, right there. Jesus was probably standing there. (laughs) And John knew him because God had told John, the one whom you see a dove descend on, that or the spirit descend on, that is the Messiah. So John baptized Jesus. He came out, a dove descended and, and John saw, knew that was the Messiah. Jesus then goes out into the wilderness, comes back, standing in the crowd, probably dirty, Standing in the crowd, and John sees him as he's arguing with the, the Pharisees. He says, among you stands one who's I've been talking about. And he's right, he's right, you know, he didn't point him out, but he says he's right there. So here's the picture. And now let's move into verse 29, because John the Baptist has some people following him. He has disciples. He's most likely here in Jericho or between there, traveling back and forth. But it says this in 29, the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. This was John's job, just so you know. John's job was to bear witness to Jesus. He said, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. Verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the lamb of God. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray one more time and just give this to you. You are the Lamb of God. You are the one that that John bore witness to. And you came to do a work and you did your work. I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would get to know you, God. There is so much in these verses. Jesus, you are the self-revelation of the Father. And through you, we can know the Father. Help us to know you better and do what you need to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So it looks like John has a few disciples with him, even the first day where he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the next day he has two disciples with him. He says it again, behold, the lamb of God. The book of John is Christological. That means it's all about Christ. Just so you know, remember last week we looked at the purpose of the book and John gives us that purpose way later where he says, I wrote these things so that you would believe in Jesus and that in believing you would have life. That's the point of getting to know who Jesus is, that you would believe and that you would have life. And John the Baptist here calls him the Lamb of God. If you're a note taker, this is in your notes. You can follow along the outline. It'll help you. But John calls him the Lamb of God. Now, remember with me, picture yourself as a Jew. Okay, here we are. We're right outside Jerusalem. These are Jews that are there. What would a Jew think when he says, behold the lamb of God? What is a lamb in Judaism? Sacrifices, yeah. And there's there's several. If you remember one of the first times we see, it's actually a ram, but remember when um, Abraham goes up to sacrifice his only son. And he's he's gonna kill his son because God told him to, but God says, oh, he stops him as the knife is raised and he looks over and there's a ram caught in the thicket. 
For some reason, I always pictured in a barbed wire fence, but I'm sure they didn't have those then. <laughs> so the ram is caught, and God provides the sacrifice for him and saves his son. I mean, beautiful imagery there compared to Jesus. But we see that. Then there's the Passover lamb. If you remember the Jews, when they were called out of Egypt, they were to kill a lamb and put the blood on their doorpost so that the, the angel of death would pass over. And the Egyptians, all their firstborn died of, of cattle, of animals, of kids. Uh, but there was that lamb. But this what he's talking about here, I think this is a unique lamb that he's talking about. And if, if you read commentaries and all those, a lot of them will attribute it different word. But I think, I think he tells us, because what does he say this lamb will do in verse 29, if you notice? He will take away the sin of the world. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and get to know what, what these disciples would understand some of John's disciples, what would go through their mind when John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? They probably would have gone, huh? They would have been confused, but they would have thought some things. Turn to Leviticus chapter four. Leviticus is in the Old Testament. You've maybe never read it. <laughs> We're gonna be in page 57, uh, Leviticus four, and we're gonna look at 32 through 35. Because here we see a sin sacrifice. God gave these instructions to Moses saying, this is what I want you to do, all Israel. This is what you do about your sin. You bring the sacrifice. So I'm going to read these verses. It says, if he brings a lamb, this is verse, I'm sorry, Leviticus 4.32. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. So first thing, what is it? It's a lamb. Why do they bring this one? Now, here in Leviticus, there's a lot of offerings that you bring for different things. But what's this one for? A sin offering. So this is the sin offering. And what does he bring? A female without blemish. Think through that just for a minute. You're, uh, well, a long time ago. We don't have all the things we have now. Uh, wealth is in, is in livestock and things like that. What is the purpose of it being a female, do you think? Reproduction, yeah, yeah, a female can have babies. How many males do you need in a flock? One, <laughs> one lucky male, that's all you need. <laughs> we can edit that out of the podcast, <laughs> but you just need one. But a female has more value because it can reproduce, exactly, it can have more. What else do we see about this lamb in that verse? Anybody? Perfect, without blemish. Why would it be a female without blemish? It's the best. Yeah, somebody said it. It's the best. It's the best. We're supposed to bring our best to God. And that's what he said. Bring the best, the most valuable. Why? This is a sin offering. Why the most valuable? I think it would make a point. Sin's a big deal. Sin's a big deal. You're going to sin. You're going to have to do something for it, bring a, a lamb. You're going to have to bring your best. You're going to have to bring your best. I think a lot of times we, we gloss over sin. You know, we teach this, this salvation of just believe and then do whatever you want. But God really, he went to lengths to say, that's not how I view sin. Sin's a big deal. Um, so keep looking. Oh, this is in your notes. I, I skipped over it. But this describes the sin offering. Now, who brings this offering in these verses? The sinner. The sinner brings the offering. So you bring it probably out of your flock or you buy it, but it's going to cost. So the sinner brings it. 
verse 33, and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they shall kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger. I know it's scary, isn't it? (laughs) Verse 34, then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven. So look at those verses again. Who kills the lamb? Somebody said the priest. Wrong answer. The sinner They had to kill their own. Imagine being a 13, 14-year-old kid the first time you have to do this. (laughs) And you bring your little pet lamb up there, and you you have to kill it. They give you the knife. It's probably a reused knife, but they give you the knife. But I heard somebody describing how they probably did this. They'd probably take the lamb between their knees, grab its head. It says you lay your hand on the head, pull its head back so it's looking at you, and slice its throat. Um, And somebody, uh, I think it was actually with Alex, uh, Alex was telling me about a deer he had to slit its throat because it wasn't all dead. He's like, you think it's easy, but it's not. It's like, you really have to cut through. So just picture that. Again, what's the point? Sin's a big deal. God does not take sin lightly. And so somebody had to do this for their sin. This is also in your notes. The offering is valuable, valuable. And what does this accomplish? What does this accomplish? The last verse in Leviticus, or in verse 35. It makes atonement for sin, and he shall be forgiven. But here's the thing about this sacrifice. How long was it good for? (laughs) Really, it was good till probably the next time they sinned. So they had to do this over and over and over. And so when John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the ones listening Every year, they had been killing a lamb since they were probably 13 years old. So they, they had something in their mind. Now, so here's, a, here's you, and here's me. Nice, clean water, right? Um, God created man and woman. He created us perfect without sin. We sinned, um, and so we have it passed down, but we've done it ourselves also. So here's sin, and this is you. This is your brain on drugs. No. <laughs> but this is what sin does to us. Now, if I asked anybody to come up here and get that out of there, you, you probably couldn't do it. I mean, filter it or something. But, but so here's, here's sin in our lives. And so what would the sacrifice do? The sacrifice would just cover it over. So the sacrifice would cover it over. For just a little bit. Then they sin again. Oh, got to go sacrifice again. Cover it over again. That's what the sacrifice would do. So when John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is probably what they were thinking about. They were probably thinking about the sin sacrifice that they had to do year after year. And this is in your notes. The result of the sacrifice is a covering over of sin and a forgiveness of the sinner. And the sacrifice was good until the person sinned again and was necessarily repeated over and over. So then look back at John 129. 
And what does John the Baptist say about Jesus as he's walking up? Behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. There's something different about that. Takes away the sin of the world. They weren't used to that. They were used to their sin being covered over for a while. But to take it away completely, that's new. That's new. Take away, that word is iro, if you care about Greek. But it, it literally means to take up, like fishing. You know, you cast it and you draw it and you're drawing a net. You bring it up. Or when Jesus told somebody to take up their mat and go home, take up that mat and get it out of there. That's the same picture. The sin would be taken up. And I think there's some, some imagery too of how was our sin taken up? Well, Jesus was lifted up on the cross. We'll see that when we get to John uh, 3. But Jesus was up on the cross and our sin was lifted up with him and taken away. And he takes away the sin of the what? The world. That word is cosmos, universe, all of creation. You know, and we know that all of earth was tainted by sin, but Jesus was gonna deal with all of it not just a little bit of it. It's not like we sin and we have to go sacrifice again. You know, I've shared it before. I, people ask, when were you saved? Well, when I was five and then seven, eight, nine, and 10. Because every time I went to camp, they scared me that I was going to hell. And so I did it again. But that's, that's not the idea. The idea is that it's taken up and it's taken away. All of it, all of it, taken away the sins of the world. Now, remember who's writing this book. This is John the Baptist. I'm sorry, this is John, the Apostle John. John is probably one of those disciples that is there with John the Baptist. Most likely, one of those two standing there that hears this is the writer of this book. But he's now in his 80s. He's now an old man looking back, and he has seen a lot. Remember, you, you want to think about not just the context of what he's talking about. This is probably AD 30 or so, but he's writing in AD 90-ish. And he's looking back. The temple's been destroyed. There is no more sacrificing. So a Jew in this day, when he's writing it, would go, we're Jews, but where do we sacrifice? They still have that problem. <laughs> where, where do you sacrifice? But he is now an old man looking back, remembering what John the Baptist said. And just think of all the images that, is, that are flooding through John's mind as he pictures this, of who Jesus is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. For Christ also suffered once for sins, once for sins. Romans 6.10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Once for all. This is, this is why I have a problem with the Catholic thought of you have to do something about your sin. You go confess it. Now go do these things. No, Jesus did it. He did it all. But there's something about us that wants to pay for our sin, isn't there? Don't we have this thing in, well, I owe and I feel better if I whip myself or whatever it is. I cause myself some pain. But that's not what happened. Jesus took it all away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away, completely away the sin of the world, all of it. Are you getting the point? But here's the part that would be surprising or catch them off guard, they were expecting a, this is not what they were expecting. When they were thinking about the Messiah, they were expecting a military leader. There had been other Messiahs that had risen up. There had been other people that rose up, I'm the Messiah, follow me. But they were all military leaders. They all would get a little band together and all right, we're gonna take on Rome, Wah! and they'd get beat down. 
But that is what they expected when they thought of Messiah. They were thinking about typically earthly kingdom, that the Messiah would come, throw Rome out and set up his reign and rule because the Old Testament talks all about that reign and rule. It's awesome. And Jesus will do that when he comes back. He's coming back. But the first time he was thinking deeper. They were thinking physical kingdom. He was thinking about dealing with the real issue of our hearts, of sin. That had to be dealt with first and the kingdom is now, but the the kingdom is gonna be fulfilled when he returns. So he wasn't what they expected. You know, you, you think... It's so clear now as we read the Bible, oh, Jesus is exactly what was predicted in the Old Testament. We see it. But in their mind, that's not what they were expecting. They were expecting somebody else and Jesus surprised them. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, took away the sin of the world. He made it possible for the sacrifice to be done. So look back at at this uh, illustration. Here's, Here's you. Here's your sin staining your life. And here's the Lamb of God. Now, I carved one earlier that looked like a pig, so I made a new one. (laughs) You saw that one? Yeah, Lydia has it. The Lamb of God. What does the Lamb of God do? If you need to see, this is really cool, you can stand up. What does the Lamb of God do? The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. What you can't do, he did. What nobody could do, he did. What the sacrificial system couldn't do, he did. Clean. Clean. And I could drip a little more in there and it'll probably disappear. I wonder. (laughs) That would make it even better. Yeah, gone. So that's us now. If you by faith have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, he has taken away your sin. Are you, are you sinless? No. But the sin you commit now is just like that little drop. Gone. Taken away. Taken away. That is what Jesus did. We are going through John so that we get to know Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the one that we saw last week created everything. He came as a man. He gave his life as a lamb, as, I mean, a precious little valuable, remember, the most valuable, Jesus was the most valuable, and he came to do what we couldn't do. He gave his life for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. There's nothing we do to earn that. This is where it's kind of hard to apply. A lot of people don't like preaching through a gospel because it's great going through the epistles because Paul is always telling us what to do. <laughs> and John, they're always telling us what to do. And so it's really easy to make application. But going through the gospels, it's hard to make application because there's not a lot of commands of do this or do that. But the point of John is to get to know Jesus because if you get to know Jesus, it'll change everything. What did Jesus do for you? The Lamb of God, he took away all of your sins. This is in your notes. For the individual saved by grace through faith, every sin is forgiven and no sin will be revisited by God. No sin. As I was trying to figure out how God wanted us to apply this, because I believe we need to apply God's truth. What does it mean? What do we do with it? And I was looking back at John 129, where where John sees Jesus come and he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And I was doing some word studies. That word behold 
doesn't mean just look. It does. It means look. Hey, look over there. Check it out. But it means look and then comprehend with the mind. It means look at something and understand it. It has spiritual connotations. So when John says, behold the Lamb of God, he says, look, but understand him. Get to know him. And I think that's our, our application. Behold the Lamb. Behold Jesus. We, Callie was talking about it. We get together one hour a week. What is that? <laughs> I mean, really, what is that in life? We need to be beholding Jesus every day. Every day. I hope that you have a plan to meet with God every day. At least try and be consistent. Meet with him in the word. And we can study all over, but come back to the gospels often. Come back to the gospels often. When I feel down, when I feel out, when I am struggling with, with my thoughts, it's the gospels. It's not even Psalms. Psalms are great, but it's the gospels that I go to and I'm refreshed because I get to know Jesus. Because when I read about Jesus, I then look at my life and go, <laughs> what can he not do? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I think the other application for us too is he takes away the sin of the world, all of it. And so what sin are you still wrestling with? What sin bogs you down? What sin from your past still does Satan throw in there and go, you're, you're no value. You can't, you can't serve me. Remember what you did? Satan still does that with me. Satan will bring up things that I did many, many years ago and go, you can't be a pastor. And when I'm not beholding the lamb, I go, you're right. You're right. But then when I behold the lamb, he goes, yeah. To be honest, Jesus kind of agrees there. Like, yeah, alone, you're not worth a lot. But with me, you can do anything. <laughs> and you're not, you're not worthy, Derek. You're not good enough. But in me, I'll make you competent because I'll be competent in you. So what sin is holding you back? Get rid of it. Forget it. God's not gonna bring it up. We did baptisms right after Easter and I asked somebody, you know, how many sins is, is Jesus gonna bring up later? And they're like, well, I don't know. Well, the answer's none. <laughs> when you go up there, he's not gonna bring up any. He's not gonna go, hey, by the way, remember you did this, this, and that. I want you to go over there and do 20 push-ups for each one and then you can come into heaven. None, none. They're gone, they're done. He's not gonna bring them up so you Stop bringing them up. Your sins are gone. But also now what that means is we're also free from the enslavement to sin. We don't have to walk in sin anymore. Just because they disappear doesn't mean we get to continue chasing after sin. That's not life with Christ. So let's behold Jesus. Let's pursue him and let the past be in the past and let Jesus be who he is. Let me pray and we're gonna close with one more song. Father in heaven, thank you for your son. Thank you for the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. I don't know what I would be in life without you. I don't know how I could do anything without you. My sin would destroy me. But Jesus, you've taken it. The only one that could take it, you did. You took it. Thank you. Thank you. We worship you now. We close with one more song and we just want to lift our voices to you and worship you because it's all about you. And God, I ask too, Holy Spirit, would you come to our hearts and if we still are dwelling on past sins, if we're, if we're feeling guilt, Holy Spirit, take care of that for us, please. Help us to realize that you have taken it upon yourself and it's gone. Father, if we need to come to you this morning and confess and turn, I pray that we would do that here while we close in song, that we would just silently give our sin back to you. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.